You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. So, man, thank you, Jason and team, leading us in worship. And for Jason Painter, very grateful for the ministry of Hand of Hope. I'm sure many of you are. Um, this, uh, this past week, April, and I got to go to Asheville. And spend a few days at the Cove, which is the Billy Graham Training Center. And uh, it was an incredible time. It was a pastor retreat. And, um, but thinking about, you know, even what Jason was saying, just I truly believe the Lord's heart um, is for the unborn as well as the born. And uh, we were kind of reminded of that as we drove through Asheville and passed a, a hospital where April had, uh, we'd had a miscarriage. And she had to, to deliver um, an unborn, or, you know, baby who was, who was, uh, not alive, and I have no doubt that the Lord cares very much for those babies who um, yet don't make it out of the womb alive. So we have, have an incredible hope in God. So very grateful for uh, the ministry of Hand of Hope, for sure. Well, my name is Ricky. As Pastor Brad shared with you a minute ago, I serve as your pastor for Discipleship and Care. And it is my privilege to get to spend a few minutes with you preaching this morning. And as I was preparing to preach, I've known for a few weeks, I was... Uh, just looking through the scriptures, asking, Lord, what, what is it you would have me teach on this morning? And there was one psalm that just jumped off of the page to me, and that was Psalm 5. And I believe this is a very timely word from the Lord, and I believe, honestly, that it is the word that the Lord has for us this morning, coming directly from Psalm chapter 5. Whenever I read the Bible, I love how the Lord uses the most vulnerable people to write scripture. You don't have to read the Bible and wonder much what the authors really are thinking. Or you don't have to wonder much what God is thinking for that fact. I love how raw the Bible is. And when we come to Psalm chapter 5 this morning, we are seeing the heart of David just laid out before us. Not just between him and God, but for all of us to see. So that in the year 2020, we can know that we have a God who hears us whenever we lament. David wrote Psalm 5, and when he wrote this, he's lamenting to God. He's lamenting to God concerning the enemies who are after him, and he feels the wickedness, he feels the evil all around him, pressuring him. But God knows that he, David knows that his confidence is in God alone for protection from his enemies. I read one author this week who talked about lament, and whenever he talked about the importance of lament, he couldn't help but mention the lost, well, the lost practice of lament, especially among American Christians, and I, that is me included. It's something I just don't do that much. I've forgotten the incredible truth that the God of the universe allows us, invites us to come to him and to pour out our hearts to him, to ask of him, to complain to him, ultimately to trust him. Understandably, though, we, we may turn instead, before we turn to God, if you're like me, you may turn in and cry out to others who can hear you first. It's easy to look, to look horizontally before we ever look vertically to the Lord, and we can let everyone hear what we're thinking. They can hear our fears. They can hear our anger, whether it be our family members, or it's our friends, or maybe just to the public, or maybe we put it on social media. We want everyone to hear our frustrations, but we must ask, have we looked up, and have we shared them with God? I want you to know this morning that God hears the lament of his children. God hears the lament of his children. And lament is this. Christian lamenting is, well, it is praying to God in pain. 
It is praying to God in pain, and that prayer will ultimately lead in you trusting God. I truly believe that Christian lamenting will always, eventually, may take some time, it will lead to a grateful heart toward God. Why would we not lament to the creator of the universe who invites us to do so? I read of one pastor, he said that laments aren't, aren't cul-de-sacs of sorrow. No, laments, they are conduits for renewed faith. There's a purpose in lament. It's okay to lament. God invites you to lament. Why don't we do it? For some of you, maybe you feel unheard. Whatever you're going through, whatever it may be, you feel unheard. Maybe you feel mistreated, misunderstood. Maybe some of you feel misled or maybe you feel threatened. Do you feel scared or desperate? If any of these describe you, then I want you to know that the message this morning for you is this, is that you can cry out to God for protection from your enemies and know that he hears you because God hears the lament of his children. Isn't that good? I don't, I don't, I don't listen much to the lament of my children. They'll tell you that. I shut it down. That's not how the Lord is, though. He's kind, he's compassionate, he's patient, and he welcomes the lament of his children. And David wants us to know this. He's gone before us. He's, he's saying, here, here's the roadmap of Psalm 5, showing you how you can escape the wickedness and the evil that's all around you. And as he gives us this roadmap of Psalm 5, David sticks out his hand. He extends to us a compass that will guide us, but this compass is going to take us down the path of lament. But like David, the children of God, we can walk that path crying out to him for protection and know that he will protect us because God hears the lament of his children. So Psalm 5, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to read the entire text to you, only 12 verses. So hear the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throats an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us understand your words this morning. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you will convict us in the ways we need convicting, that you will comfort us in the ways we need comforting. And it's for your glory that we ask these things and for our good. Amen. 
I have five points for you this morning, just walking directly through the text. And the first point is going to come to you from verses one through three. And the first point is this, that God hears when you call. I want you to know that God hears when you call. I, I love the first three verses. I mean, even the first three lines, the very first verse, are so comforting to me. Here, verses one through three, one more time. David says, give ears to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning, hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Even in the first three lines, maybe you can relate. When you hear this, David, he asked the Lord to not only hear his words, but David has the confidence to say, God, even when I can't speak, will you, will you hear my groans? Even if I don't even know how to respond, I'm so sorrowful. Will you respond to my cries? Give attention to them. Maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe in your fear, in your sorrow, maybe you respond in anger. Maybe you respond in tears. Or maybe you're speechless, even though you feel deeply. I'm sure some of you, if not all of us, can relate in some way to David's plea here because we've all had an enemy. If you don't have an enemy today, you've had one yesterday, or you're going to have one tomorrow, we're going to have enemies. And David's plea here helps show us whatever, whoever it is. Maybe it's a coworker who's been out to get you. Maybe it's a family member who's turned on you. Maybe all you can do is groan whenever you recall the video in your mind of George Floyd. Maybe you can't stop crying because of the fear you feel, because of the civil unrest that's going on in our cities. You don't know what to do. Whether it's your words, whether it's your groans, or whether it's just your tears, I want you to know that God hears you. God hears your words. But if you don't hear, have the words, I want you to know that God notices your groaning. And he gives attention to your tears. Wow. How intimately connected to his children are God, is God. So much so. He is so close to you. And verse 2 makes it clear that David is a man who knows he's under authority. He just right here, he says, my God and my king. He's a man who comes confidently out of submission. Verse 3 makes it clear that he has expectation that God is going to respond. He's watching. He's waiting, knowing that God is going to respond. I want you to notice how confidently God's people can go before God and access his heart. It's amazing. As we see laid out in the psalm, David, he's going, to, he's going to show us that he not only knows what the Lord loves, but David, he also knows what the Lord abhors. And this, this boldness that comes through the submission of the King of God, that comes through the submission to God, he's able to confidently go before God. And I love how he accommodates the weak. It's completely opposite in the world. You've got you've to put on a facade. You've got to You've got to muster up. You've got to straighten up if you want to be heard in this world. That's not how God operates. He says, I hear the weak, even when you can't speak, even when all you can do is groan or all you can do is cry, I hear the lament of my children. And David shows us here that it's the humble submission that connects his heart to the God of the universe so that he can boldly approach him and ask God to even interpret his tears and his groaning. You don't have to be the loudest for God to hear you. But you do have to be humble. 
like David, we can have confidence that God hears us when, he call, when we call out for protection from our enemies. Here, verses four through six. For you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, some of you may read this and you get a little defensive in your, in your heart here. And you're like, what's David doing? He's just making a case for things he's not, comparing himself to those he's better than. Well, while that may be true, this is not David's intention here. No, what David is doing, he's presenting a case so that he can have justice against his enemies. But he's not building his case on his own righteousness, but on the righteousness of God. Whenever you approach God, what are you building your case on? Is it your own righteousness? Though you may be righteous through the blood of Jesus, or are you building your case on the righteousness of God? My second point is this, that God rejects the wicked from verses four through six. God rejects the wicked. David knows God's heart. And knowing the heart of God, David, he can go boldly before God and ask for justice concerning his enemies who are evil, who are boastful, who are wicked, who are liars. And David can do this because those who know the mercy of God, who have experienced the love of God, they have a clear category for the justice of God. We can't fathom it continuing. My children have given me a good example of people expecting justice. This happens uh, about every 30 seconds in my house, but we have Nerf bullets everywhere. If you mow the grass at my house, you're going to run over Nerf bullets. If you sweep the floor, you're going to get Nerf bullets. If you make up the bed, you're going to find Nerf bullets. There are Nerf bullets everywhere. And somehow a little foam bullet can bring tears when a child is shot with it. We know it doesn't hurt. All right, kids, we know it doesn't hurt. But let's say if Carrie is, is uh, being shot by bullets from Olsen, Carrie's going to run to me, and he's going to cry out that he's being shot by these foam bullets, and death is sure. And I'm going to tell Olsen, stop shooting Carrie with the bullets. And it will be 30 seconds later before Olsen comes to me, and he's crying because he's being shot by the bullets, and he's about to die. Carrie's hitting him. Olsen's not coming to me trying to defend what he was doing earlier. No. That's, that's in the past. That's forgotten. Olsen's coming to me because he knows my heart as a dad is to protect my son from death by nerf. And he wants justice. He wants me to stop it, of which I absolutely do, usually. How is it, we may ask, can David go to God and ask God to stop this? And to bring justice, when we all know that David, if you've read the Bible, as I mentioned, it's raw, it's vulnerable. David's not perfect by any means. Well, David can appeal to God because David's appeal is solely based on the righteousness of God. Now, one time in this psalm, does, does, does David appeal only to his righteousness? That's not his basis for being delivered from his enemies, but he only appeals to the righteousness of God. See, David's focus isn't isn't for just deliverance, but it's for justice, for God. He's fearful, and he knows God's heart on the matter. Because like God, because of, he knows God. He knows the heart of God. And like David, we can have confidence that God will reject the wicked 
when we call out for protection from our enemies. Verses 7 and 8. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple. In the fear of you, lead me, O Lord. In your righteousness, because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. While verses 4 through 6, they make, it, they make it clear. They give us a picture that God rejects the wicked. And then we see in verse 7 through 8, well, it's clear that God welcomes the lowly. And that's my third point, is that God welcomes the lowly from verses 7 through 8. Unlike the wicked, David has humbled himself. And he goes before God because he, he has received the mercy of God. And it is only through the abundance of God's steadfast love that he is able to do so. What's the difference between David and the wicked? Why can David, a man who has sinned, a man who is not perfect, can come before a righteous and a holy God? Verse 7 tells us it's because of the abundance, steadfast love of God. There's a dividing line we see here. And the dividing line is not only between David and his enemies. There's also a dividing line between God's enemies and God. There's a dividing line between man and between God, maybe between you and God. And how can we make this line disappear? Verse 7 tells us clearly, only by the abundant, steadfast love of God. If it's your innocence that you look to to justify you before God, or if it's your best attempts at life, or it's your self-righteousness, that's not going to work. It is only through the steadfast love of God and those who know their wickedness before God, those who know they have sinned before God, they cry out for mercy from God. And when they do, the line is ripped up and they can go before God, bowed down low, welcomed into his house because, only because of the steadfast love of God. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the new reality for those who have cried out to God for salvation. Having died to their old selves, they, they bow in the presence of God now, being justified by the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, from whom out of his great love for us, God sent his son Jesus to die for us so that all who believe in him may have eternal life. They don't justify themselves. They look to God. Again, the kingdom of God, I love it, is made accessible to the weak, not to the proud, but to the lowly. Those who fear God more than they fear man. Those who fear the presence of God are those who can most confidently approach God. Isn't that great? I love how the Lord flips things upside down so it's accessible to the weak. Not only can we approach God, we can ask him for things. We can cry out to him. We can complain to him. We have the opportunity to trust him and to ask him to lead us in righteousness. What boldness this requires. Yet it comes through humility because God welcomes the lowly. James Montgomery Boyce, a commentator and reading for this passage, he, he draws the reader's attention to, well, the parable of Jesus, the parable that Jesus gives between the tax collector and the Pharisees. And Boyce says this, he says, the Pharisee was ostensibly a righteous man. I mean, he prayed and we have no reason to disbelieve him. The Pharisee, he prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other men. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or 
even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Meanwhile, the tax collector, who was standing away at a distance, didn't even consider himself worthy to look up to heaven. And he only prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In a situation like this, no doubt the world will always side with the visibly righteous man. But not Jesus. He says, for I tell you, and what great news for us. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other man, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God rejects the boastful, but he welcomes the lowly, those who are willingly bowing down to him. And David knows he has the welcome of God because he's been declared holy and brought in before God solely based on the abundance of the steadfast love of God. And like David, we too can be assured and have confidence that we will be welcomed when we call out to God for protection from our enemies. Verses 9 and 10. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat's an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the steadfast, because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. In verses 4 through 6, David has, con- has contrasted God with wickedness. But now David's looking at us in the eye, and he's getting a bit more specific. And he's going to tell us exactly how it is he's being transgressed against. Notice the importance of words. They're liars. The importance of words, because the spoken word reveals the condition of the heart. But I tell you, not David nor God will be fooled by their lying and flattery. God will not be fooled by your enemies. When David, he's backed up against the corner and he has nowhere to go, what is it that he does? He turns to God because David, I believe, knows that the sin's not ultimately against him. While he's suffering the consequences of this wickedness, just like you too may be feeling the consequences of others' wickedness, David knows that the ultimate transgression is against God. That's who they're rebelling against. And that's who they're going to have to face. Therefore, point number four is this, that God's enemies condemn themselves. God's enemies condemn themselves. We don't have to do the condemning. When our enemies are within grasp and we're pinned against the corner, maybe we ought to step aside and just lament to God and trust God to have his justice because we know that he will. And when God's justice is satisfied against his enemies, which it will be, then God's people are justified against their enemies. But until then, we lament. And we have confidence that God hears the lament of his children and that he will protect us from our enemies. Corey Ten Boom, if you've never read The Hiding Place, you ought to write it down right now and look up The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom, she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. Look to Christ and you'll see that the heart of God is to save you because he hears the lament of his children. Verses 11 and 12. 
But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and cover him with favor as with a shield. Many of you have probably heard of Athanasius. Uh, He was a beloved bishop of Alexandria in the 300s. And Athanasius was most known for his, well, his standing up for the deity of Christ and as well for his contributions to the the Nicene Creed. There was a phrase that rose around Athanasius. The phrase was this, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. Maybe some of you feel that way. Athanasius contra mundum, against the world. Athanasius was driven into exile five times by the powers of the Roman Empire. Of his 45 years of serving as a bishop, 17 of them were spent in exile. But he had a strategy for handling this conflict. And this strategy came from one of his heroes, Antony. And this was Athanasius' strategy for facing conflict. It was to out-rejoice them. John Piper, in writing about Athanasius, He says, if something's worth fighting for, then it's worth rejoicing over. And the joy is essential in the battle. For nothing is worth fighting for that will not increase our everlasting joy in God. Courage and conflict must mingle with joy in Christ. Athanasius, he would stare down murderers who would enter his church. He stood before emperors who could have him killed as easily as exile him. He was confronted by parents and other clergy because of his well, because of his urging the young people in Christ to give their all, even if it led to martyrdom. However, he had a joyful courage. And he rejoiced when facing his adversaries. The last point is this. God's people are protected by him. How can we rejoice when facing our adversaries? How can we rejoice after lamenting? Because lamenting leads to trusting. And we can know that God's people are protected by him. Lament is not hopeless. And a Christian is never hopeless. Because whenever they cry out to God, he hears his children. David hands us this map. Remember this map of Psalm 5 that's going to lead us to the heart of God in victory over evil and our enemies. And he hands us this compass that's going to lead us by way of lament. But then he hands us one more thing. David hands us a shield for protection on our journey. April and I, about a week ago, wanted to go on a walk. However, it was raining, and we were kind of bummed, like we can't go on our walk together because it's, it's raining. And then I remember, we, we have an umbrella that can protect us from the rain. This, this huge umbrella, this golfing umbrella. We don't play golf, but we have this huge umbrella. I mean, who likes to walk in the rain? No one. Unless you have protection. So we went on a walk in the rain. And who enjoys a walk in the rain when the rain can't get to them? We all do, or I do. So even though the rain was all around, we went on our walk and we enjoyed it. Are you surrounded by enemies? whoever they may be, and I want you to lament to God. Call out to him for protection, but don't forget to sing. Don't stop short of rejoicing, of trusting in God. In Acts 16, what did Paul and Silas do when they were wrongfully accused, beaten, and imprisoned? They sang, and they sang for all to hear. 
Notice in verse 11, David's not alone anymore. We don't just sing alone. We sing together. Verse 11 says that all who take refuge in you, the path of lament may be personal, but it is meant to be shared by all of God's people. We cry together. We sing together. We trust together. Let us look to God together in our lament, but let us also sing the joyful promises of God, whether it be with words, whether it be with your groaning, or whether it be your tears, cry out to God. And my hope is built on nothing less. You can cry out that your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then when darkness comes, his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, you can say. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood, you can ask. And when all around my soul gives way, know that he then is all my hope and stay. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. You can sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So if you, like David, feel pinned in the corner, surrounded by your enemies, and they're very near, then I want you to lament to God. Have joyful courage and sing. Know that he will protect you because God hears the laments of his children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of lament and for hearing us when we cry out to you. Thank you for protecting your children, knowing that evil will not prevail, that your justice will be satisfied against your enemies and your children will be justified against their enemies. We rest in your protection, trusting in the love of God shown to us through Jesus Christ, by whose name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.